Welcome, welcome, welcome to Above Replacement Radio. I am your host, Chris Gianta. I might be becoming a bad baseball fan who can't enjoy the romantic things because of advanced statistics. 15 years from now, I want to be on the early baseball committee. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Kern. I literally have the fan graphs hoodie, the baseball reference t-shirt, just repping some stats, you know what I'm saying? It's not necessarily Hall of Fame. It's not necessarily above average, but we can guarantee you we are better than just the standard replacement level college sophomore. And welcome to Above Replacement Radio, we're talking baseball, kind of whatever. I'm your host, Chris Gianta. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? Chris, I'm doing very well today. Uh, I'm going to be honest, I very much underestimated the, the amount of prep I would need to have put into this podcast based on what we're doing today. Uh, I started prepping at like 9.30 this morning. It is now 3.14 as we're recording this, uh, and I just finished everything. So uh, we got a really fun, really fun thing to get into today. Uh, for the September show. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, as we, as we're back into two days a week, you know, sometimes the MLB news pipeline gets a little dry, just, you know, at this point in the year, races are kind of similar to what they are. You know, we do have a four-way tie in the national league wild card, but there's not a crazy amount to analyze. Like, you know, there, there hasn't really been a ch- big change in team trends, at least in the last, in the last few days, you know, some stuff that we haven't covered, we haven't really gotten, you mm-hmm. know, nothing nothing crazy so every once in a while we'll just kind of go off into a into an interesting topic talking about the state of the current game or like some something or like where what we think of baseball history blah 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 you know we've done it with the top 10 players we wish we had stat cast for we did it with the future of the hall of fame uh episode earlier this year and uh today we're going to get into the all underrated team because i just i don't know ran, we randomly thought of it uh, you know, maybe a couple weeks ago and uh, and figured like, yeah, I mean, it, it would be interesting to talk about because I think a, a large portion of the MLB is just underrated and or just haven't gotten the spotlight quite yet, whether it be small market or mm-hmm. um, just their style of play or personality doesn't get them a lot of, you know, traction and doesn't get them, you know, viewed in the same light as some other players. So it's yeah. So yeah, we're going to do an all underrated team. Shout out to Daniel for all the research he's doing. Cause I think we, we went sort of two uh, you know, two different paths. I did my, I did my research, but definitely not to the level of, uh, of Daniel here. So I'm excited to see what he has to, uh, to present. Um, for me, I just did position by position. Uh, I didn't like, ha- do you have like a batting order or, or anything? Oh No, I just went the same. I just went positional order. So we have a catcher, a first baseman, a second baseman, a third baseman, a shortstop, three outfielders. Doesn't matter uh, whether they play left, right or center DH. Uh, I think I went, we went very subjective with DH. I think we just went with like a wild card hitter uh, yeah. and then three starting pitchers and two relief pitchers. Yeah. And the reason we didn't go like straight up DH, I feel like there's only like five perma dhs out there and even some of them still play the field sometimes like jordan alvarez still plays the field like every three games or so so you can't just and you can't just say that say that i mean i guess you could make the case but you really just can't say that shohei otani is underrated you probably could but you know that's not the direction we're trying to go here yeah you could make the argument he's underrated but i i can't say he's all underrated team worthy especially considering how many underrated players there are out there in Mm -hmm. the mlb at least by our standards so um so yeah, so yeah, we we just went with like a guy who's good at hitting that maybe doesn't get the recognition he deserves. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, 
yeah, to give you the floor, let's start off with uh yeah, catcher. You want to you want to go first? Uh yeah, sure. I'll go like first. I, I feel like I usually I feel like I usually go first in these things, so I'll let you I'll you let you take the floor. Yeah, and we can snake it, so I'll do my catcher, then you do catcher, okay. then first base. Sure. That works. Um so my catcher uh maybe people would say he's you know high profile enough especially just got traded to a pretty high profile team but i i would argue that maybe that it masks his success a little more because of how many players how many good players he's surrounded with but i'm um, talking about sean murphy uh sean murphy like he has the most f war for a catcher since the start of last year and i don't think and i don't think there's really anybody recognizing him as like best catcher in baseball that's him or like he's the future of the catching position you don't really hear any of that uh he's also the only catcher top four in both offensive runs above average and defensive runs above average since the start of 2022 um he's won a gold glove before he has a 137 ops plus this year um and yeah he just doesn't get the proper i i still believe he doesn't get the proper recognition i think when you i think when people are talking about the braves this year they're talking you know acuna olsen and maybe riley and maybe not even including sean murphy in that conversation when he very well should be because he's a top player on that team and a large part of the reason why they are taking that division uh very easily uh along with that uh i, I pointed out this you know before the year started how underrated he was. He was ranked the 84th best player in baseball by MLB Network before this year, despite ranking 31st in position player F for the previous two years and 24th in uh in 2022 alone. But he was ranked, despite ranking 24th in F war in 2022, he was ranked the 84th best player in uh, in baseball by MLB Network, which you know they use like the shredder and all that stuff. And uh, you know, I don't know if that determined that, but uh you know it, it was not it was not a proper rating he should have been like a top 50 player or ranked a top 50 player in baseball i'm sure he will next year i hope he does but uh but yeah that's my case for him being uh the most underrated catcher in baseball despite my opinion of him being the best catcher in baseball but i don't know if everybody shares that opinion who do you have yeah. for catcher i mean you do make a good point with uh with you know he's a very good player but not a lot of people recognize how good he is because i think when you when people think of the future of the catching position they probably think of adley rutschman well before they think of sean murphy and when people think of the best catcher in the league for several years it was jt real muto like if you picked anyone else you were just wrong uh and he's kind of taking a step back this year while sean, sean murphy has taken a big step forward in a larger market for the first time uh but for my my catcher uh, if you live in a sabermetric echo chamber like I do, you might think this guy's overrated because of how many of the national like sabermetric analysts gush over this guy. But if you're a normal person, you've probably never heard of Patrick Bailey from the San Francisco mm. Giants. But that's who I'm going with for my underrated catcher. Uh, despite having the 198th most innings played in the field this year, Patrick Bailey is tied for the most fielding run value in baseball with 16 runs above average. Let me say that again. 198th most innings played the most in account statistic uh that is very very hard to do and that shows how ridiculously good he's been defensively uh he ranks 100th percentile in catcher framing 96th percentile in pop time and 93rd percentile in caught stealing above average and one thing that i've really picked up on from uh looking at all of the stat catch catcher data that has been presented this year alone 
it's very rare to find a catcher that's proficient in both framing and the stealing or the, you know, the throwing aspect of catching. But Patrick Bailey has been among the best in the game in both. And as a hitter, he also has a 39, 38.9% sweet spot rank, which ranks third among all catchers with at least 150 batted balls. And his 11.1% barrel rate ranks sixth uh, among catchers. So he is the best defensive catcher in baseball, as we've seen this year. And maybe even just the best defensive player in baseball outright. It's very possible. Uh, and he's also a guy with an above average batted ball profile. If you look at his actual results, he has gotten unlucky. He has a 700 OPS this year, but uh, all of his expected numbers say that he should be uh, better. And his batted ball metrics have been pretty strong for a guy that just came up this year. So that is my case for Patrick Bailey of the San Francisco Giants. Right. Yeah. He, he's someone that has really emerged this year. And I think part of this like discussing the the uh all underrated team like part of it is like not all these players are necessarily getting like truly underrated or it's just that they haven't had enough eyes on them or haven't been presented uh to the national audience enough um so some of these guys are that way but yeah i mean like he's the best like he's been the best defensive player this year and i don't think a lot of people know about that mm mm-hmm. No doubt. Um, so snaking it now. Yeah. Uh, for my first baseman, I'm going with the guy that I think is just outright the most underrated player in all of baseball. Uh, I'm going to go with Yandy Diaz from the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, since the start of the 2022 season, that's essentially two full seasons at this point now. Uh, only Aaron Judge, Jordan Alvarez, Mookie Betts, Paul Goldschmidt, Shohei Otani, and Freddie Freeman have a higher weighted runs created plus than Yandy Diaz. All of those names that are in the MVP conversation year in and year out. And Yandy Diaz is right there with them. Uh, he is also tied for the fourth highest walk to strikeout ratio in the majors in that span. And he leads all first basemen in that category specifically. Uh, and again, over the last two seasons, his average exit velocity is 92.8 miles per hour. And that ranks sixth among the 179 hitters with at least 500 batted balls. So he's top 10 in weighted runs created plus top 10 in exit velocity in the last two years. Uh, and going into this year, uh, specifically, Yanni Diaz is hitting 455 with a 848 slugging percentage against curveballs with only a 12.2% whiff rate on 35 plate appearances. And he has a 10.4 run value per 100 against curveballs, which is comfortably the highest among the 2,078 hitters with at least 25 plate appearances ending on any pitch. So what that means is that for every approximately every 100 curveballs that Yandy Diaz sees, he produces 10.4 runs. That is unprecedented. That doesn't happen. And he's the highest on a list of 2,078. And that is a rate stat, which means it can go down and up at any point. It's not something that you accumulate with more plate appearances. And his 12.2% whiff rate against curveballs is the seventh lowest among the 252 hitters with at least 25 batted balls ending on them. And I've said this before, but I think truly you can't name 10 hitters in the league that are that you can confidently say are better than Yanni Diaz. You can name a few, but I don't think you can name 10 that you have to not you, that you can't just not think about it and declare that they're better than him. You have to look at it with a lot of the guys. Uh, and I believe that Yanni Diaz at his, at his ceiling is a top 10 hitter in baseball entirely. Um, yeah. And the, the argument gets better and better as more days go by and he's mm -hmm. still, you know, a top guy in weighted runs created plus, you know, he's had an OPS plus above 140 both this year and last year. And, you know, this year's almost over. Uh, and yeah, I mean, 
mentioning the, you know, where he's at and where he runs creative plus since the start of last year. Like it's uh it's hard to argue. It, it keeps getting harder and harder to argue, especially considering like, and yeah, it's backed up by a great batted ball profile. This isn't a matter of luck that he's, you know, uh, doing this well, uh, as far I, as my, I have a um, feeling I know who your first baseman is. My first baseman, uh, yeah, it it is uh it is not your first baseman. That's although okay. he is definitely in consideration, and you know, not out of consideration for a future position. Um, my first baseman is Christian Walker. Yep. Uh, he is he has the third most F four for a first baseman since the start of twenty twenty two. And despite being third in F war in 2022, he was completely left off MLB Network's top 10 first baseman, uh, which just seems, I don't know, just seems kind of rude. Like he was the third best uh, first baseman in all of baseball by, you know, considering all factors, you know, defense, base running and hitting. Uh, but he was completely left off the MLB top 10, even though he was top three for that specific year. I know, you know, I always judge things on a, on a two year scale, but still like you have to have a little bit more emphasis on the, on the previous year. Um, he's the best defensive first baseman in baseball while being 30% above average at the plate. Uh, he's, he has a 131 OPS plus since the start of last year and he won a gold glove last year and likely, you know, probably most likely will win a gold glove again this year. Like he could be uh, a potential, like, you know, I don't know. I don't know what his future holds. Cause he's already, you know, uh, in his early thirties, but he's like the, a modern day, like Keith Hernandez with maybe even better offense. Uh, and, you know, I just, because he's a diamond back and also because he's kind of a whole package package player, he doesn't really get the recognition, but even with that, I think he's, you know, 30 home runs or around 30 home runs both last year and this year, and also a gold glover. Like you, you got to love that from a, from a first baseman. So, um, so yeah, that's what, uh, that's what I got for. And even going, I might reference our F4 league a couple times because <laughs> that's where I get a good sense of, uh, of like the baseball landscape, but it's us and, uh, eight other guys. And we have a, a league that's based on, the one stat fan grabs wins above replacement and like Tristan Cassis was picked before Christian Walker, like an unproven rookie first baseman <laughs> was picked right before Christian Walker, who had the third most F4 last year. And I guarantee Walker won't get picked at the right spot next year either. Um, just I, how yeah, I had him, I had him, I think like fifth on my first baseman big board, but Paul Goldschmidt ended up falling to me in the third round. Yeah, no, I, I had him fifth as well. I had him right behind, um, right behind Matt Olson. Uh, yeah. and I forget who I had, but yeah, I had Olson, um, you know, Freeman Goldschmidt, uh, and, uh, who's the other guy? I don't know, but I, yeah, I had, a yeah, I had a couple guys ahead of him. So, and Vladimir Guerrero Jr., which, you know, luckily I didn't get him. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, I have Christian Walker at first base, uh, second base. I don't really have too much to say on second base. Uh, I, and I don't think he's criminally underrated. He just doesn't get the recognition that necessarily the production he gives, uh, would, you know, would garner. So I'm talking about Nico Horner for second base. He just has the archetype of the underrated player where he's like a whole package guy. He's not, he, he's not a 300 hitter. He doesn't hit a lot of bombs, but he gets on base at a decent rate. He has amazing defense and uh, he has great base running as well. 
uh, and he also has slightly above average hitting. Since the start of 2022, he leads all second basemen in stolen bases. He's second among second basemen in defensive runs above average, and he also has a 105 weighted runs created plus. So you consider he's the you know potentially best uh, base running second baseman, uh, along with some of the best second base defense while being above average hitter. Um, and I think when you say the name Nico Horner, it's like, yeah, well, yeah, but no, he's actually a really good player. So he should get that, uh, recognition. Who do you have for second base? Yeah. Nico Horner. I don't have him, but the interesting thing about that archetype of player is that we've seen so many guys in the last like five years that will have a season with, you know, an, an around av- around league average batting, uh, but stellar defense and rock up F war because of that, uh, and but rarely do you see people repeat it over multiple years. You know, you look at like David Fletcher uh, in like 2020 had a solid year, but then he was never able to do it again. Uh, you looked at like Nicky Lopez in 2021. He was hovering like a league average weighted runs created plus while being like the best defensive player in baseball that year. We have not seen the same production from him since. And there have been so many other examples of this. But yeah, Nico Horner is going kind of three years strong now or I guess two full years strong now. Uh of being that exact type of player. Yeah. 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 So my second baseman, uh, yeah, there wasn't really a ton to say here. I think this was the position with kind of the least amount of potential answers, but uh, I'm going with a recent, how about that of mine? Uh, I'm going to go with Zach Jelloff from the Oakland days. Uh, I know he's only played a handful of games in his career, but you know, I I've heard virtually nothing on him uh, until basically it, weirdly enough, I heard a couple things about him when I did my, how about that on him? But that's all I've heard. Uh, among all second basemen with at least 150 plate appearances this year, he is a weighted run created plus of 136, and that ranks third at the second base position, trailing only Mookie Betts and Jose Altuve, uh, who are two future Hall of Famers. And in just 44 career games, he is all, he's already hit 10 home runs and stolen nine bases. So he's shown a lot of versatility uh, as an offensive player for the A's. Uh, and he is already uh, close to the batting average run value despite being nowhere near qualified. So if you look on Savant now and you look at the batting run value in the percentile pages, that is a count stat. That is something that's accumulated over time. And Zach Jeloff is almost at the average uh, average number for a count stat. That's like, you know, if the average guy hit like 20 home runs and a guy got there in like, you know, 60 games. Like, it's very impressive. And that's what we've seen from Zach Jeloff so far. Uh, and then uh, going more into it, 60.5% of his batted balls have been line drives or fly balls tied for the 13th highest rate among the 374 hitters with at least 100 batted balls. And he's got exit velocity to combine that because he has a 90.9 mile per hour average exit velocity this year. He's able to drive the ball with a lot of power, uh, which means, you know, a lot of those fly balls turn into home runs. A lot of those line drives turn into extra base hits. Uh, and that's, you know, one of the many reasons why he's my underrated second baseman. Right. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's come onto the scene and being in Oakland doesn't help if he had this start, you know, if he, if he had this start, uh, you know, as a Met or a Yankee or a Red Sox player, Dodger, you, you know, you'd be hearing a lot more about it for sure. Yeah. So going on to third base now, I'm taking another Tampa Bay Ray uh, and I'm going with Isak Paredes 
uh, the third baseman for the Rays. He was acquired. I mean, he was acquired in a deal where many were questioning what the Rays were doing, which, you know, you shouldn't do that ever. Uh, they traded Austin Meadows. I think it was it wasn't straight up, but it was for Isaac Paredes as the main return. And he has a 136 weighted runs created plus in 2023. Uh, that is the 13th highest among all qualifiers, and it's the most among all third basemen. So, you know, there are a lot of fantastic third basemen in the league with Machado, with Arnato, Riley, Devers, Bregman. Uh, you know, the list goes on, Jose Ramirez. Uh, but Isaac Paredes is the number one in weighted runs created plus at the third base position this year. 52.2% of his batted balls have been pulled this year. That is the second highest rate among the 125 hitters with at least 300 batted balls. And when he pulls the ball, he is hitting 374 with a 931 slugging percentage. That is the fifth highest in Major League Baseball. He is also 86th percentile in whiff rate, 79th percentile in strikeout rate, and 60th percentile in walk rate. Uh, he also has a pulled fly ball rate of 15.2% this year. That is the highest on that same list of 125 hitters with at least 300 batted balls. Isaac Paredes has 27 home runs this year. He's on a raised team that's had so many, you know, seemingly random guys just step up this year, and he's been one of the best ones uh, throughout this year. Uh, yeah, for sure. He, he, uh, he's been definitely a pleasant surprise, like with, what with what he had in Detroit, it wasn't like you didn't know what direction he was going in. But yeah, he's really come into his own in, in Tampa Bay for sure. Um, and I would agree, yeah, his production has kind of gone a little bit unnoticed uh in the national landscape, uh, considering how well he hits home runs and all that. Um, so that was for third base, right? Yes, I know who your third baseman is. Yeah, my third baseman. So I, I I'm kind of noticing our differences in uh, approach to the all underrated team. Yes. You're, de you're definitely going to toward the guys who are really breaking out this year. I'm kind of going on the longer scale of guys who I think have been consistently getting it done over years um, who maybe just aren't, haven't, haven't quite hit gotten the recognition that they've deserved. Um, so yeah, my third baseman, you know, it's, it's the most underrated player in baseball. It's Jose Ramirez. Um, he is the third most F war among all position players in the last seven seasons, second most F war among all position players in the last six seasons. And he's top five in the last five, four and three se seasons. And he's top seven in baseball since the start of last year, but no one really cares. Uh, most fans still take uh, Nolan Arenado, Manny Machado, sometimes even Rafael Devers over Jose Ramirez in terms of ranking their third baseman or who's better or whatnot. And it's it, like, I get maybe an argument against Arenado or Machado, but you shouldn't confidently say, yeah, I definitely take Nolan Arenado over Jose Ramirez, or I definitely take Manny Machado over Jose Ramirez because just Jose Ramirez is so good at so many different things. Uh, but he's not like, he's never been a 40 home run guy. He's gotten close. He's never been like a 50 stolen base guy. Uh, he's never been, I don't think he's ever won a gold glove, uh, necessarily, but he's still really good at defense, amazing at base running and really good at hitting. Uh, and since the start of 2018, uh, Jose Ramirez leads all players in base running runs. He is top five in stolen bases, has a 135 weighted runs created plus while being sixth among third basemen in outs above average. Uh, I think he's, you know, he's the best, uh, third baseman in baseball, 
he it's just like his his whole career his he's just not gotten the recognition he's deserved i don't know if he's ever gotten an all mlb selection at least first team all mlb selection despite a couple years like being kind of the best third baseman out there uh and i know particularly like in 2021 he wasn't first or second team despite uh how great he was he was like he was a six win player 36 home runs 27 stolen bases with good defense um and uh and yeah like it's just it people not enough people know about him unfortunately and mm-hmm. um you know it's not his fault it's just part of part of it is playing in cleveland um and part of it is you know he's not really a flashy player he doesn't hit the you know he doesn't hit a ball 470 feet he doesn't you know have 99th percentile sprint speed he doesn't you know throw the ball across the field like uh, Manny Machado but he does some version of all those things, a modified version, and does them all. He plays all aspects of the game extremely well. And part of that, you know, underrates him a little bit. So that's why I put Jose Ramirez as the most underrated third baseman in the league, arguably most underrated player in the league. Um, when uh, when he retires eventually with the most war for a third baseman since Adrian Beltre, what do you think he debuts at on the Hall of Fame ballot? Um, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Like, I don't think, uh, I, I think maybe optimistically, I'm hoping that his greatness ages a little bit better. I think, I think that's kind of happened with Adrian Beltre. I think mm-hmm. he wasn't like his, his legend status wasn't really quite developed until like the late 2010s when people were realizing like, wow, look at these numbers. And he did accumulate good stats, like being a, th- a guy with 3000 hits helped him. I don't think Jose Ramirez will get there. I don't think he'll get to like 450 homers either. So yeah, maybe it'll be like, uh, maybe he'll debut at like 60% or something. Oh, that that's an optimistic take. May, I, I, I am being optimistic, but I'm thinking, yeah. I was thinking like 30 to 40 range. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if that... at least he'll get there at some point, but yeah, it'll be, uh, it'll be unfortunate. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I have Jose Ramirez and yeah, I believe he should have won 2020 AL MVP. He did not. Um, he should have been higher in some other MVP races. Uh, people were really upset that he was a finalist in 2018, despite being really productive. And I get, I get the argument for JD Martinez there in 2018, but I think Jose Ramirez production was just like not recognized at all when when those arguments were being made um so for shortstop um especially the way i rated it it was hard for me to find like a a true underrated shortstop especially considering like what the free agent market has been the past two years like virtually like all the top 10 shortstops in today's game have gotten like a nine-figure deal like almost all of them whether it be trey turner you know uh, you know, Dansby Swanson, Francisco Lindor. Carlos, Carlos Correa, Francisco Lindor, Xander, Xander Bogarts, Bogarts. Yeah. Um, Trevor Story, like so many. Um, so this is probably going to be my least underrated player. But for shortstop, I just put Dansby Swanson. Um, and I don't think he's really that underrated, especially considering like the world just saw him get a $177 million contract. So, you know, how underrated can you really be? But, uh, he is second in F4 among shortstops and ninth 
among all position players since the start of 2022. That's two full seasons where he's a top 10 player in baseball, according to F4. Uh, and that's among all position players. Again, um, I would imagine not a lot of people are still calling him like a top 25 player in baseball, even though he is. He's definitely a top 25. Arguably, yeah, arguably top 10. I don't know if I'd put him top 10, but probably t- top top 20, top top 15 maybe. Uh, he has the second most defensive runs above average among all players since the start of last year. But he isn't really known as like a defensive maestro quite yet. I still think a lot of people would put uh, guys like Lindor or even like Correa uh, above him if if they aren't looking at the stats because, you know, he's not really much of a flashy player. Uh, I know MLB's put out a couple of highlights of him, which is nice. Um, but yeah, like he just yeah, I think he just hasn't. I think the the world is waiting to give him. Uh, his proper recognition luckily he was able to get a good contract out of it and personally I underrated him uh, before the season I thought last year was more of a fluke but uh, but no he's he's delivered this season as well so that's why I have uh, that's part of the reason why I have Dansby Swans as, as my most underrated shortstop what do you got for shortstop yeah so I went with another shortstop that's kind of been breaking out this year uh, he's I, he's been a name for some years, but I don't think people realize how productive he's been in 2023. I'm talking about JP Crawford from the Seattle Mariners because he's looked a lot better this year. Uh, and it's clear that, you know, he looks like a different hitter this year, if we're being honest. Over the last three seasons, however, he has a line drive rate of 28.1%. That is the seventh highest among the 176 hitters with at least 750 batted balls over the last three years. So, you know, I did just talk about how he's been different this year, but that's one thing that he's been constantly good at uh, is hitting line drives, which, you know, I think no matter what, you know, era of baseball fan you are, whether you're what generation of a baseball fan you are, I think we can all agree hitting line drives as much as possible is really good. You should do that if you can. Uh, And JP Crawford's done it 28% of the time, which is only six people have been better over the last three years. But in 2023, His average exit velocity has gone from 85.1% the previous year, and it's jumped up to 89 miles per hour this year. That is the third highest gain between the two years among the 178 qualified hitters. Um, His 15.4% walk rate is also fourth highest in the majors this year, and it is only trailing Juan Soto, Kyle Schwarber, and Andrew McCutcheon, and it actually just beats out Shohei Otani. Uh, So J.P. Crawford has been, you know, I think he's kind of been like the vocal leader of the Seattle Mariners for quite a while now. You know, he's one of the longer tenured members of the organization. Um, And, you know, he's really been uh, kind of putting his stamp on this season where the Mariners have obviously, you know, they could win the AL West this year. They are likely going to make the playoffs for a second straight year. Uh, And they are not not to mention they broke the playoff drought last year. So J.P. Crawford uh, this year, I think, has been – a lot more special than he's been in previous years offensively uh yeah for sure he he seems like like it it seemed like we were kind of waiting for his potential to break out obviously like a high profile number two overall draft pick a, a little bit ago mm-hmm. um but uh but now it seems like it's coming to fruition and he's like you know a potential you know part of the present and maybe the future of uh of seattle and like it, it seems like oh finally he's like really He's like a big part of this team now. No doubt. So then my first outfielder, we have three. It doesn't matter if they play left center, or right? My first underrated outfielder, I did go, I think kind of an underrated. I don't know if I went like in a certain order, 
in terms of my outfielders, yeah. my like most underrated or not. I kind of just went first guys that came to mind. Uh, but my first name is Anthony Santander from the Baltimore Orioles. I wouldn't be surprised if, if this is a repeat, but since the start of 2022, so, you know, two full seasons now, he has a 122 weighted runs created plus, and that is tied for 12th highest among all qualifying outfielders. Uh, he has an isolated power of tw- two of 0.222, which means there's a 222 point difference between his slugging percentage and batting average. Essentially, what that means is he drives the ball at an extremely efficient rate, and that is the seventh highest among outfielders, trailing only Aaron Judge, Jordan Alvarez, Mookie Betts, Kyle Schwarber, Adolis Garcia, and Luis Robert. So he's one of the best outfielders at driving the ball. Uh, over the last two years. He has a pulled batted ball rate of 44.4%, the sixth highest among the 68 hitters with at least 750 batted balls over the two-year span. And when he pulls the ball, he is hitting 412 with an 898 slugging. That is the fourth highest the the fourth highest slugging percentage on that same list of 68. Uh, in 2023, he has a pulled fly ball rate of 12.4%. Pulled fly balls, if you're a power hitter, that's the best thing you can possibly hit. It's going to be a home run more often than not. and uh, Or even just an extra base hit more often than not. And his pulled fly ball rate of 12.4% is the sixth highest among the 125 hitters with at least 300 batted balls. Uh, And he pulls fly ball, and when he pulls fly balls, uh, those batted balls have an average exit velocity of 97 miles per hour. So when he does that, he's hitting the ball really hard. It's translating into a lot of extra base hits. Uh, and that's why I believe Anthony Santander is one of the most underrated outfielders in all of baseball today. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And yeah, you, you are right in that it is our, uh, it's our first overlap here mm-hmm. on the, uh, on the all underrated team. So yeah, I'll, I'll definitely add on Anthony Santander, just like narrative wise. Like I think he's a staple of, Baltimore, you know, and their and their recent success, and it's not really getting talked about that much. I think there's a lot of emphasis, rightfully so. There's a lot of emphasis on the young guys coming up because of how great their farm system is and how great their young talent is, with guys like Adley Rutschman uh, and Gunnar Henderson, and even guys like Gray Rod or uh, you know Jordan Westberg coming up. Like, there's a lot of excitement in that. But Santander's been there, and he's like a really productive guy and a, a big part of the reason why that offense and why that team is succeeding right now. And it doesn't really get talked about too much because he's not, he doesn't necessarily fit the narrative of the Orioles because he's not a, a rookie or a guy in his second year coming up uh, because rightfully so they're, you know, what's being talked about is their young talent. Uh, but with Anthony Santander, you mentioned the weighted runs created plus and uh, how elite that's been um, looking on stat head and, and OPS plus uh Anthony Santander is one of eight qualifying outfielders with an OPS plus of 115 or better, both last year and this year. The other seven are Kyle Tucker, Kyle Schwarber, Juan Soto, Brandon Nimmo, Mookie Betts, Julio Rodriguez, and Randy Rosarena. And I just don't think that he necessarily gets talked about in the echelon of those seven batters, but he is on the echelon of those seven batters, at least at the plate. Um, you know, it, with how consistent he is and you, he's become a very, very reliable hitter from both sides of the plate, which is a uh, really, really unique. So yeah, Anthony Sandander definitely deserves more recognition and we're trying to give it to him. Uh, my next outfielder um, is someone uh, you, you highlighted as a player to watch before. Um, and this is one that goes way back, like how 
consistent he's been. And he doesn't get a lot of recognition, part, partially due to his health, um, but he has been healthy the past couple of years. Um, and I'm talking about Brandon Nimmo of the New York Mets. And it's kind of hard for a Met to be underrated considering how big the market is. Uh, but Brandon Nimmo is one of seven hitters to have 200 plus plate appearances and a 110 OPS plus every single year since 2017. The other three are Freddie Freeman, Paul Goldschmidt, and Bryce Harper, all elite hitters. You know, not saying that Nimmo is is those guys, but that that's a mark of consistency. And albeit, you know, the, the marker started at 200 plus plate appearances. But again, I mentioned part of his problem was health and health has not been a problem for either of the last two years, which is a lot of what I judge the scale on. He's an on-base machine, and part of I think part of why he doesn't get the recognition he deserves is he's you know he's not a contact machine at like 300. He's not a guy that really puts out 30 bombs, and he's not a Gold Glover, but he's pretty good at everything. And uh, you know he he I think that's why like his production sort of gets buried, but he's really one of the best outfielders in baseball and deserves to, uh, you know, get that recognition for it. Yeah, no, Brandon Nemo is definitely a very underrated guy, especially in in on-base percentage rankings. He's always like near the top five at his peak. Career, Um, career 380 mark. Yeah. It's crazy. Going, going back to Santander, like he played his first games with the Orioles in August of 2017, uh, which was, before like kind of the start of the royal of the orioles like descent into irrelevancy and then into a rebuild so like he's really been there for it all truly yeah 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 uh anyway my second outfielder uh you mentioned health being an issue with brandon nemo this guy also has had some health issues not any major ones but you know we definitely haven't seen the most of him on the field uh, i'm talking about lars newtbar from the St. Louis Cardinals. He's spent some time on and off the IL this year, but when he's on the field, he's one of the best players in baseball. Since the start of 2022, despite only having exactly 750 plate appearances, his F4 of 5.8 ranks 22nd among all outfielders, and additionally his 127 weighted runs created plus uh, is tied for 12th. Uh, His .72 walk-to-strikeout rate is the 6th highest among the 115 outfielders with at least 500 plate appearances over the last two seasons. Uh, In both 2022 and 23, he is ranked in at least the 59th percentile in batting, base running, and fielding run value, which means he's been above average at virtually every aspect of baseball over the last two years. Uh, One thing that he's particularly good at is not swinging at pitches that aren't strikes. His chase rate over the last two years is 19%, and that is tied for the fourth lowest among the 178 hitters with at least 1,500 pitches seen outside the strike zone over the last two years. Uh, And he's also been a guy that we've kind of, we've talked about who these guys would be, but he's benefited from the shift ban in 2023. uh, Because in 2022, Lars Nupar was shifted against on 53% of his plate appearances, and because of that, he hit 223 on ground balls. And this year, He's hitting 300 on ground balls because he's not being shifted against. Uh, he's a guy that hits a lot up the middle as well. So not a, so, uh, you know, there's not out, there's not infielders there anymore, or at least not as much as there were. Um, and he's been betting fitting from that. And because of that, his batting average has gone up like 50 points this season. Right. Yeah. 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 And yes, he's, he's great at all aspects of batting. Like he's one of those guys where it's all red on the, on the baseball savant dashboard. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, and then my third outfielder, my final one, 
Uh, I went with a, a definitely a weird one. I was not expecting to put this guy on my list when I had a when you know I was brought with the assignment of making an all underrated team. But I looked into his numbers and I realized this is a guy that I think, you know, I mean, when I didn't think about him, I think that's you know how you know he's underrated. But I'm talking about Lane Thomas from the Washington Nationals because he's had a really good season, and I don't think a lot of people are talking about it uh, since April 30th of this of this year. He is slashing 291, 337, 523. For an 859 OPS and a 129 weighted runs created plus and 3.1 F4. That F4 ranks tied for 11th among all outfielders and his weighted runs created plus also ranks 11th. So for the majority of this season, he's been a borderline top 10 outfielder uh, this year. And Lane Thomas ranks third in, in all of baseball in arm value with five fielding runs above average with his arm. Uh, he also has 94th percentile sprint speed. So he's very good at fielding, very good at base running. Uh, and in this span since April 30th, 49.5% of his batted balls have been pulled. That is the fifth highest rate among the 120 hitters with at least 250 batted balls. And when he pulls the ball, he is hitting 481 with a 956 slugging percentage. So half the time he's hitting a batted ball that he's hitting 481 on, which is pretty outstanding. Uh, that average ranks tied for second and his slugging percentage ranks 10th. And 25.5% of his batted balls have been pulled line drives and fly balls. That is the seventh highest rate. And on such batted balls, he is hitting 659 and slugging 1524. So Lane Thomas, he's had a really excellent batted ball metrics this year. And at the same time, he's a very good thrower from the outfield and he's a good base runner. Uh, yeah, absolutely. He, yeah, he's, he's been productive all year, just under the radar. One of the reasons why the nationals were able to like go on that weird stretch where they won like two thirds of their game for a month, two thirds of their games for a month. It was like, they were just washing out playoff you know potential playoff teams in series which was weird but uh i think i think that's done now but we'll we'll see more about the nationals they're they're very interesting because of uh players like lane thomas um my my uh my third outfielder you know my first two were anthony santander and brandon nimmo my third outfielder is kind of similar to nimmo in that he's been consistent for a little bit not at a star level not like mvp vote getter level but he's been at a solid level for a little bit and people I think forget about him. Uh, but I'm talking about Ian Happ of the Chicago Cubs. Uh, he is one of seven outfielders with an OPS plus of 113 or higher in a qualifying season in at least three of the last four years. The other six are Brandon Nimmo, Randy Rosarena, Mookie Betts, Kyle Tucker, Teoscar Hernandez, and Juan Soto. Uh, he's, you know, consistently a good bat out of the outfield, consistently a good player. He's not really a defensive detriment. Uh, you know, he's not, he's not a liability out there, uh, in the outfield and yeah, he just, uh, he gets, I think he's 15th in outfielder F4 since the start of last year. And it probably goes back even further than that, where he's been good. And, you know, another guy who's good on both sides of the plate and, uh, and yeah, he's just consistently, consistently good. Like three of the last four years, he's having a qualifying season of a, of a OPS plus of 113 or higher. That's very, very valuable. You're at least 13% above average with the bat. So yeah, like uh, that's why I got Ian Happ as my, as my third outfielder. And then my designated hitter, um, I preluded this a little bit. Uh, he's your first baseman and it's our second overlap. My DH <laughs> is Yandy Diaz. <laughs> 
uh, as I think you meant, I think this was the stat you mentioned, but uh, he is seventh in weighted runs created plus since the start of last year behind Aaron Judge, Jordan Alvarez, <laughs> Freddie Freeman, Mookie Betts, Shohei Otani, and uh, Paul Goldschmidt. And Yadi Diaz is also right in front of Juan Soto, Ronald Acuna Jr., Corey Seager, Julio Rodriguez, Pete Alonso, Manny Machado, and Matt Olson. So he's sta- sandwiched right in between some elite hitters, some guys we've known as elite hitters. And then there's Yandy Diaz, like with the Rays. And uh, and yeah, he's he's been doing amazing. He's hitting 322 this year with a 900 OPS. Um, you know, just he's really, really productive with the bat. And um, I think partially because he's a Ray and partially because we kind of didn't know him like this until maybe last year. Uh, we kind of knew him as like an average bat. Uh, I think you know, we're, we're starting to get to, we're starting to get used to him being an elite hitter, but haven't quite yet. So yeah, I, I definitely agree with putting him on the list. I have him as a, as my DH. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yandy Diaz serves to be on there for sure. Yeah. Um, so my DH, yeah, I went with, I went with kind of just strictly a guy that's a good offensive player. I uh, didn't really like positions didn't really matter for me, but I'm going back to an old well for this one. I'm looking at MJ Melendez from the Kansas city mm-hmm. Royals as my underrated D or DH hitter, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Over the last month, uh, he is slashing 323, 370, 603 for a 972 OPS and a 159 weighted runs created plus. And that weighted runs created plus ranks 22nd among all, among all qualifiers. Now I'm not just doing a, how about that for the last month I'm doing, I'm doing the fact that this, what we're seeing from MJ now, this is what should have been happening the whole time because he's been getting really unlucky this entire year and luck is finally starting to shift his way a little bit. Uh, Melendez has a 393 slugging percentage this year, but a 433 expected slugging. Uh, 17.8% of MJ Melendez's batted balls in 2023 have been hard hit fly balls. The NLB average is 11.6, so he's been 6% above that. However, MJ Melendez is hitting 309 on hard hit fly balls and slugging only 1109. I know 1109 sounds like a massive slugging percentage. It's not. Uh, that average rank, so his 309 batting average ranks 10th lowest and his slugging ranks 12th lowest among the 177 hitters with at least 250 batted balls. Uh, and this makes, uh, according to expected batting average, MJ Melendez has been the 13th unluckiest hitter on hard hit fly balls. And he's been the 14th unluckiest according to expected slugging. Uh, he only has 13 home runs this year. But StatCast projects that he should have 17, uh, which is the third unluckiest difference between expected home runs and actual home runs. And if you're wondering why this happens, it's because he's on the Kansas City Royals. Five of the top 10 unluckiest hitters by expected home runs minus home runs are Royals players. Uh, Kauffman Stadium just keeps fly balls in the yard. And MJ has been a major victim of that this year. And uh, he's been at the top of every batted ball leaderboard, whether it's expect, whether it's exit velocity, expected slugging, barrel rate. Uh, and he just hasn't gotten the results. And a large part of that is the ballpark he plays in. Yeah, for sure. Like, yeah, Kaufman's kind of cursed in that sense. Yes. So now we move into pitching. We have three starting pitchers and two relief pitchers. For my first underrated starting pitcher, I'm going. I know this guy is kind of in the Cy Young race this year, but I still think people don't realize how special he is. I'm talking about Justin Steele from the Chicago Cubs. He's been a bona fide ace for them this season in a year where Marcus Stroman went down with an injury. Uh, but Justin Steele, since the start of 2022, he has a 2.91 ERA and a 3.14 FIP. Both of them are top seven among the 65 pitchers with at least 250 innings pitched. 
And the most impressive thing to me about Justin Steele is that he's established himself as an ace pitcher with essentially two pitches in his arsenal, because as a starting pitcher, you're pretty much expected to have three pitches to succeed at the very least. Steele has two. He has thrown his four seamer 63% of the time and his slider 33% of the time. And the reason he is able to succeed with just two pitches is that both of them have elite movements. So Steele has a very unique four-seamer that actually acts as a sinker. Uh, his fastball averages 21.7 inches of downward movement, uh, which essentially means most fastballs aren't supposed to drop. His does. Uh, he And his downward movement is the second most among the 173 pitchers with at least 400 fastballs thrown. And because he's able to get his fastball to drop so much, uh, he has a 48.1% ground ball rate on his four-seamer, the fifth highest among the 85, 89 pitchers with at least 100 batted balls against their four-seam fastball. And his slider has some of the best horizontal movements in all of baseball. Uh, it's Justin Steele's slider averages 14.4 inches of glove side movements. That is the fifth most among the 78 pitchers with at least 400 sliders thrown. And thanks to that, his slider has a run value of five this year. So hitters are not hitting it very well. Steele's getting a lot of results on it. Uh, a lot of soft contact, a lot of whiffs. Um, and that's because it moves so much to the glove side. So Justin Steele and his very good arsenal uh, are in my number one slot for underrated starting pitchers. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Steele, uh, yeah, definitely. Like, yeah, he's coming up, he's coming on to the, uh, to the scene and it wasn't even just this year, like last year, he was very good before he, uh, got taken out with an injury. Um, shout out probably, probably my best, probably my best player to watch performing this year. Shout out to, uh, shout out to myself for that. Not that it was right. a, that, not that it was that hard of a pick. Um, but yeah, yeah, he, he definitely like should be picking up a little bit more steam. Um, my, uh, yeah, my first starting pitcher, it might be weird to hear this name because he's been, he's like, he's been a name for like a decade. Um, but, uh, since the, but, you know, I think, I think people like he's in the AL Cy Young race and people don't even really know it. Um, but I'm talking about Sonny Gray. Uh, (laughs) I think him being on the twins does not. Uh, does not really help either, but yes. Yeah, so Sonny Gray, since the second half of 2022 started, Sonny Gray ranks second in ERA and fifth in FIP among qualifying starters. And no one's really, no one's really talking about him this year. Like this is a about a year and a half in which he's second among all qualified starters in ERA. That's pretty amazing. He's got a sub three ERA and a sub three FIP this year. And I don't know. You're just not really hearing about it i think a lot of people a lot of people including me are assuming that those numbers are just gonna naturally go up but that just hasn't happened i think he's a free agent after this year um i might have to double check on that but like i think he's a free agent this year and he's not like the he's not really being talked about at all in the free agent market despite him like being maybe one of the best uh options out there yeah he's a free agent after this year um and it's just not being talked about at all. And uh, not and to go anecdotally again with our F four league, uh, mm-hmm. like so, in in the F four league, you draft your team, you get three different injury replacements. They have to like hit the injured list, and then you replace them, and you kind of have to be economical with it. Like if a guy 
if a guy's injured for he's projected to be out for two weeks, you're not you're probably not going to replace him because you you only ha- you get three injury replacements a year. But there's been several different uh, pitcher replacements, including two myself. But none of us have replaced uh, our pit our injured pitcher with Sonny Gray, despite <laughs> him I think being fourth in F four this year. Like we've always thought there was a better option, but there just hasn't been personally. I, there was a time where I thought Nathan Eovaldi would be a better option. That wasn't the case. Uh, recently, I thought Zach Eflin was a better option. And although he's been good, he has not been better than Sonny Gray since I picked him up. Uh, and also, Yuri Perez was picked twice before Sonny Gray <laughs> was picked once because Yuri Perez was selected by one of our friends. Uh, then he went to the minors and was replaced. And uh, and with with not Sonny Gray with a with not Sonny Gray. And then uh, who, yeah, with Mitch Keller, who's not doing better than Sonny Gray. <laughs> and then uh, and then another one of our friends uh, replaced Hugh Darvish with not Sonny Gray, with Yuri Perez, who allowed uh, and he's had one start on uh, on that guy's team. And he allowed uh, four home runs, I believe, uh, and has negative negative point four F war. So um, that that's just anecdotal. Like no one's recognizing what Sandy Gray is doing this year, except for a few people and probably mostly in Minnesota. Um, my second starting pitcher is, uh, I, I wouldn't think I'd be saying this like at this, like probably like 22 months ago, I wouldn't think I'd be saying this, but, uh, Logan Webb, I still think is, uh, very underrated. Uh, he's taken my two slot in the starting pitcher role. Part of this started, Part of this narrative for me started uh, before this year when he was ranked the 97th best player in baseball by MLB Network. He was behind Reese Hoskins, Jazz Chisholm, and Jeremy Pena, among others. Uh, however, you know he was he was better than them then, and he's especially better than all of them now. Um, not to the fault of Reese Hoskins. I know he tore his ACL, but like that's irrelevant compared, you know, in in respect to this conversation. But s- since July of 2021, Logan Webb ranks third in ERA, third and fifth and fourth in F4. He's been like a top five pitcher in baseball uh, statistically for, you know, since for about two and a half years now. And no one's really, I don't think people talk about him in that respect. People don't talk about him as like a crazy bona fide ace uh, when he really is. He's just been really consistent and he hasn't had that Cy Young season, even though he's been like a consistent, like top five, top 10 guy. And he's not really being talked about. And he's not really being talked about in this year's Cy Young, even though I think he's pretty much, he's he's a solid candidate along with guys like Snell, Gallon, Steele. And he should definitely be in that conversation considering his run provincial, run prevention along with his great underlying numbers. Uh, what do you have for your number two starting pitcher? Yeah, so for my number two, I'm going with uh, a guy that you recently did as a how about that. Uh, and also a guy that I got to see pitch this year, uh, Tanner Bybee from the Cleveland Guardians has been a very underrated pitcher in his rookie season. Uh, This year, his overall pitching value is in the 92nd percentile and his fastball, breaking ball and off-speed run values are all in the 80th percentile or higher. We don't unfortunately have leaderboards for those percentiles yet, but I would imagine not many pitchers have all three in the eighties or higher. Um, He has a 28.5% fly ball rate. But the average fly ball exit velocity for him against him is 90.5 miles per hour. That is the 15th lowest among pitchers with at least 250 batted balls against. And just for some perspective, across the entire league, hitters this year have hit have hit 010 
on 90 mile per hour flat fly balls and slugged 020 uh which means 2% of the time or 10 or 1% of the time they're getting a hit essentially and that's been the average fly ball against Tanner Bybee which has been excellent uh, both his four seamer and his slider have a run value of eight, which shows that he's had two uh, specifically very effective pitches. And going into his slider specifically, 22.6% of his sliders have had 40 inches of drop and 10 inches of glove side movement, which means that it's moving in two different directions. Uh, and that ranks 22nd among the 167 pitchers with at least 250 sliders thrown this year. So Tanner Bybee, uh, he's, done a lot of excellent things on the mound he's a lot of very good options for him and all of them have been working and he's also getting a lot of soft contact my third starting pitcher i'm actually i'm going back to an old well and i'm staying in cleveland i'm talking about tristan mckenzie who was my 2023 american league cy young pick and unfortunately as soon as i made that pick he got injured and he's just never been healthy this year which sucks but you know, I still stand by everything that I said about him in March because from July 1st through the end of 2022, he made 17 starts and had a 219 ERA and a 271 FIP. He tied with Shohei Otani for the highest F4 in the American League throughout that span. And because McKenzie is six foot five, he gets an average of 6.8 feet of extension on his pitches, which allows them to have a slightly higher perceived velocity compared to his actual velocity. So essentially what that means is because when Tristan McKenzie steps off the mound to pitch, his front foot and his arm are about six and a half feet away from the actual mound, which means that he's throwing from a slightly less distance than, you know, 60 feet, six inches, which means that the ball, you know, it looks like it's going faster because it's traveling less distance in less amount of time. Uh, and he's able to do that because he's six foot five. He gets off the mound very far. And that's something that helps him a lot. And it helps a lot of different pitchers, especially, you know, taller guys. Uh, before July of 2022, McKenzie had an average exit velocity of 90.6 miles per hour on all of his pitches. And from July on, it moved down to 88.5 miles per hour. And specifically on fly balls, his average exit velo went from 94.2% from, from April to June to 92.3 miles per hour from July on. And thanks to this, his home run to fly ball ratio went from 19.5% before the span to just 11.3% in this span. Uh, so Tristan McKenzie, we saw him for half of the year last year as the, the best pitcher in the American League by F4 standards. Uh, and, you know, I think a lot of people forgot about him this year because of his injury. And even then, I think a lot of people kind of discredited him last year. He wasn't the ace of that rotation because Shane Bieber was there. I think when he comes back next year, he's going to be expected to be the number one pitcher in that Cleveland rotation. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And going back to uh, Bybee, like, he's, like, I, I feel like... People forget he's like a rookie and he wasn't, you know, a top prospect coming up. He wasn't like anybody's rookie of the year picks, you know, understandably so because he was a relative unknown. Um, but like, you know, I think when people are talking about the rookie of the year conversation, it's like, oh, it's obviously Gunnar Henderson and maybe like Josh Young and Casas will also get their votes. But like Tanner Bybee is very well in that conversation. And, you know, some things can change in a month. Like he could take he could take that take that award if he does well enough and maybe, you know, one or two candidates fall off a little bit and uh, like, yeah, he's just been kind of flying under um, not, you know, partially, you know, he doesn't have the craziest stuff. It's just like, he's getting guys out uh, you, with a lot of innings, good workload, um, but just not doing it in the flashiest way possible. Uh, my third starting pitcher 
Um, he's been he's been moved a couple of times in the past few years, so he's gotten some headlines, but he's just been very consistent even before he started getting really good. Um, but I'm talking about Jordan Montgomery, who's now on the Rangers. Um, and even like in the trade, he was in the trade to the Rangers. He wasn't traded for anything like he wasn't traded for a big haul. Um, you know, granted, he, he he's a two month rental, but he's still like maybe could have gotten the, the you know, the the Cardinals could have gotten maybe a little bit more for him. But anyway, Jordan Montgomery is one of six pitchers with 150 inning seasons with sub four ERAs and FIPS in each of the last three years. So that's 2021, 2022, whoops, 2021, 2022, and 2023, back to back to back, 150 innings, sub four ERA, sub four FIP. Uh, The other five to do that are Kevin Gosman, Garrett Cole, Luis Castillo, Corbin Burns, and Zach Wheeler, who are all known as bona fide aces to be, you know, to, to be frank there. Uh, whereas Jordan Montgomery, you think like, oh, he's a, he's a good two option. He's a good, maybe he's a good middle of the rotation option, but no, he's, he's a, he's a really, he's a really good pitcher. And he's, he's only improved since 2021. Uh, you know, he, I think he, he got some, he got some recognition when he was performing great with the Cardinals right after that trade, but because, you know, the Cardinals were a little worse this year, uh, and there were more high more high profile guys in the trade market this year. He didn't necessarily get a lot of that recognition, but he was one of the best players to be dealt at the deadline. And it wasn't really talked about very much. Uh, so I have Jordan Montgomery as my third starting pitcher on the all underrated team. My rotation is Sonny Gray, Logan Webb, and Jordan Montgomery. Uh, my relief pitcher and my first relief pitcher, uh, actually on the hometown team, I'm talking about Chris Martin. Um, I only have, I only really have one note on him, but you know, since the start of last year, he's had a two, two, four ERA and a two, four Oh FIP. Those are really elite numbers. In fact, he's the seventh best FIP among all qualifying relievers since the start of last year. Uh, you know, when the Red Sox signed him, it kind of went under the radar, uh, you know, understandably. So it was, he had a much higher ERA than his FIP. So if you looked at like his three ERA, it was like, ah, whatever, but no, he's like, it's evened out and it's shown this year is he has a one, two, two ERA this year. Um, and partially because he's not a closer, it doesn't really get talked about that much, but he's been a crucial part of why the Red Sox have been able to stay afloat. Uh, and part of the reason, like part of the reason why their bullpen isn't necessarily in shambles. Uh, so yeah, like Chris Martin is definitely, uh, an, an underrated guy and has been for a, a couple of years now. Yeah, so getting into my first reliever, again, my rotation was Justin Steele, Tanner Bybee, Tristan McKenzie. My first reliever uh, is Brian Abreu from the Houston Astros. Uh, he's definitely never been he's never been the closer of that team since he came up in 2022, or at least he established himself in 2022 because Ryan Presley has been there. But I would argue he's been the Astros' best reliever over that time. Over the last two seasons, Brian Abreu has a 199 ERA, a 267 FIP, and a 309 slugging percentage, or excuse me, a 309 expected slugging percentage. That ERA ranks sixth among all relievers. His FIP ranks 17th, and his expected slugging ranks 15th lowest among the 342 pitchers with at least 250 batted balls. Uh, His slider has been one of the most dominant pitches in all of baseball over this span. Between 2022 and 23, opponents are hitting 164 and slugging 262 against his slider. That average ranks ninth lowest. Slugging percentage ranks seventh lowest among the 
among the 78 pitchers with at least 750 sliders thrown. His slider also has a 47.6% whiff rate over that, that two-year span. That is the fifth highest among the 700, excuse me, the 71 pitchers with at least 400 swings against their slider. So Brian Abreu, he's been one of the best relievers in baseball for the Astros. He is one of the most wipeout, devastating sliders uh, in the game. And I feel like he just hasn't really gotten that recognition. He was also one of the guys, I believe, that came in relief to pitch in the no-hitter in the World Series. So, uh, you know, I think people kind of forget about that. And then my final reliever to round out my all-underrated team is Ryan Walker from the San Francisco Giants. My list started with a Giant. It's ending with a Giant. In 2023, Ryan Walker has a 2.16 ERA and a 3.14 FIP in exactly 50 innings pitched. Uh, he ranks top two percentile in expected batting average average exit velocity barrel rate and hard hit rate excuse me hard hit rate um he has a sinker and a slider that he throws at a near identical rate i believe it's 50.4 percent and 49.6 percent uh, between the two uh, both of them have an expected batting average below 215 and an expected slugging percentage below 315 uh, his slider has a fly ball rate of 37.5 miles per hour the 12th highest among the uh, 131 pitchers with at least 50 batted balls against their slider. And the average exit velocity on fly balls against his slider is 90.5 miles per hour. Like I mentioned earlier with Tanner Bybee, they're not going to get a lot of results on 90 mile per hour fly balls. His sinker, on the other hand, it's a sinker. So it has a 55% ground ball rate, which is, believe it or not, kind of around the league average. Uh, but the average exit velocity for ground balls against his sinker is 79.4 miles per hour this year. That is the fourth lowest among the 140 pitchers with at least 50 batted balls against their sinker. So Ryan Walker has looked excellent this year for the Giants. Really good batted ball metrics. Uh, good even two-pitch mix. Uh, and yeah, he's been one of the reasons that the Giants are in contention right now. Uh, yeah, I'm getting some uh, some starting time too. Like as an as an opener, mm -hmm. uh, they just want him out there to start the game. Understandably so, considering uh, he doesn't give up runs a lot, and he's yeah, not he expected to. Face, to. He wanted to face the one, two, three guys in the lineup. Yeah, for sure. Get them get them starting slow. Uh, my yeah, my ending is not a not really a grand finale. Don't have too much on him, but <laughs> I think the one stat I do have is like kind of eye-opening like you would you just wouldn't pick this guy for this set if i gave you like five guesses but uh matt moore uh who <laughs> we talked about last episode because he was picked up by the guardians but since the start of last year he is the lowest era among qualified left-handed relievers that's it that's all you need to know that's that's how that's how good he's been with yeah, run prevention that kind of says uh, it all know, that really, yeah, that says it all. I mean, you know, you got Josh Hader out there. You got, you know, Roldis Chapman still out there. Among... I, don't think, I don't think anyone thinks Roldis Chapman has the lowest ERA among qualified left-handed yeah, relievers. Yeah, I was just, I was blanking on you know, certain <laughs> left-handed names, but there's a lot of great, <laughs> there's a lot of great relievers out there, but Matt Moore has been the best at run prevention, best at earned run prevention uh, among lefties since the start of last year, which is pretty wild. Um and yeah, like you just wouldn't, you just would not expect that. That's, that's just not the case. So yeah, that's, uh, that's the all underrated teams. Um, yeah. Well, you want to go back through our rosters? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So I'll go through my team at catcher. I had Patrick Bailey from the giants at first base, Yandi Diaz from the Rays at second base, Zach Jeloff from the Oakland athletics. 
from at third base, Isak Paredes from the Rays, shortstop JP Crawford from the Mariners, outfield Anthony Santander from the Orioles, Lars Nootbaar from the Cardinals, Lane Thomas from the Nationals, at DH MJ Melendez from the Royals. My rotation is Justin Steele from the Cubs, and then Tanner Bybee and Tristan McKenzie, both from the Cleveland Guardians. In the bullpen, Brian Abreu from the Astros and Ryan Walker from the San Francisco Giants. Yep, and uh, where I'm at, my catcher is Sean Murphy. First base, Christian Walker. Second base, Nico Horner. Shortstop, Dansby Swanson. Third base, Jose Ramirez. My outfielders are Anthony Santander, Brandon Nimmo, and... Uh, Ian Happ. Uh, my DH is Yandy Diaz. My starting pitchers are Sonny Gray, Logan Webb, and Jordan Montgomery. And my relief pitchers are Chris Martin and Matt Moore. So yeah, that would that would be a those would be some a couple of nice teams there. Just sure. not getting a lot of recognition, but they're they're doing their thing without people talking about them. So, uh, so yeah. By the way, speaking of uh, underrated pitchers, I know that. He just won pitch of the month, but Cole Reagans looked good again today. He's uh, the Royals are winning 12 to nothing in the top of the seventh. So uh, I'm sure he's pitched, I don't know, like six innings pitch with one hit allowed, no runs, no walks and seven strikeouts. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess you could consider underrated over the last month for sure. Like, yeah, I mean, he's been, he's been the best pitcher in baseball. Yeah. For since the start of August. Oh, there's yeah. a uh, there's a very fun matchup, pitching matchup on Tuesday. Okay, I'm, yeah. I'm happy to hear about it. Yeah. Um. So yeah, uh, that does it for the all underrated teams. Um, because Daniel was very invested in all that research for the all underrated teams, and I was I was not to that level for sure. I put I probably put in about. 20% of the effort, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's most people's 100% effort or 150% effort. So I'm not going to fall yes. myself crazy for that. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a, uh, a large, a large discrepancy. So I have players to highlight, uh, Daniel, um, because of how much research you put into the all underrated team did not have time to get into the players to highlight, but I will go off on my tangents on players that have been doing well over the last couple weeks or a player that's done really well over the past couple weeks and a player who over the last couple weeks has been really underperforming so we will start with uh my uh monday september 4th labor day 2023 edition of how about that he's striking out less walking more and he's also making better contact turning into a strikeout machine just out of nowhere he's been excellent all around this year he is getting a So my how about that comes from a team fighting for a playoff spot, and they are happy to get some production uh, from the catcher position. So I've already done I've already done a Rangers catcher, you know, earlier in the season. But this is another Rangers catcher. I'm talking about Mitch Garver. This is kind of a small sample size, but double digit games. So I I consider that like good enough Uh, in his last 10 games. He is hitting 314. With a 1270 OPS out of 179 qualifiers in the span, Mitch Garver, Mitch Garver's slugging ranks fourth and OPS ranks sixth. And uh, even more impressively, out of 168 hitters with 150 plus pitches seen in the span, his expected batting average, expected slugging, and expected Woba all rank first. He has the best expected numbers over his last 10 games out of 168 hitters. Uh, 
And uh, Mitch Garver's strikeout rate has gone from 27% before the span to 16% in this span. So a lot of the reason why those numbers and expected numbers are going up is because he's making more contact. He's not uh, he's not going out via the K as much. Along with that, he's seeing the ball better. His walk rate has gone from 11% before the span to 16% in the span. He is he's walking and striking out at the exact same rate, which is a great recipe for success. Uh, part of the reason why he is striking out less is just making simply more contact. His whiff rate has gone from 26% before the span to 19% in the span. A sub 20% whiff rate is always very good. Uh, along with that, he has a 16% chase rate in the span, which is pretty elite. And out of 107 hitters with 90 plus pitches seen out of the zone in the span, he ran his chase rate ranks third lowest out of more than 100. Uh, along with that, Mitch Garver's fly ball rate has gone from 30% before the span to 39% in the span. Uh, also, 18% of his batted balls are pulled fly balls, which out of 181 hitters with 25 plus batted balls in the span, ranks 11th highest. Uh, that's around top six, seven percent uh, of all hitters, you know, at pulling fly balls. And on those pulled fly balls, Mitch Garver is four for five with four home runs. So that's a uh, that's working out well for him. Mm -hmm. uh, along with that, Mitch Garver, Mitch Garver's barrel rate has gone from 14 percent before the span to 25 percent in the span. A quarter of his batted balls are barrels. And out of 181 hitters, his barrel rate ranks second. Uh, and along with all the good stuff with his pulled fly balls, his barrels, he's also uh, avoiding the worst form of contact uh, a lot better. His pop-up rate has also gone from 10% before the span to 4% in the span, cut it by more than half. So Mitch Garver, he's making much more contact. He's also uh, getting walked more, and he's pulling a lot of fly balls. He's hitting more fly balls, hitting more barrels. Uh, just everything seems to be clicking for him. Uh, he's, tr you know, keeping the keeping the Rangers afloat here in that playoff spot. And uh, Mitch Garver is getting a. How about that? So that'll do it for uh, how about that? And uh, now we'll go from the highest to the lows where we're talking players with subjects that have been underperforming with our uh, Monday, September 4, Labor Day 2023 edition of Slightly Alarming Statistics. He's been barreling up the ball way less. He's not missing bats. He's not getting the ball on the ground, and people are hitting it in the air more. It's been so bad. He is getting a... Slightly alarming. And my slightly alarming uh, comes from the hometown team, unfortunately, for like the second time in three episodes. <laughs> uh, it is a very high-profile player, a, a pl another player that the Red Sox committed a lot of money to, and part of this isn't necessarily all his fault. He is coming off an injury, but... You hope that this is not how the contract is going to go because there is four, year, four more years after this. But I'm talking about Trevor Story. Uh, in his last 16 games, he is hitting 121 with a 356 OPS. Uh, that is pretty rough. And out of 173 qualifiers in the span, Trevor Story's slugging is third lowest, and his average on-base percentage and OPS are all the lowest in baseball. Uh, out of 122 hitters with 250-plus pitches seen in this span, Story's expected batting average is 6th lowest, expected slugging ranks 6th, ranks 7th lowest, excuse me, and his expected WOBA ranks 3rd lowest. 
Uh, Trevor Story also has a 35% strikeout rate to a 4% walk rate. That's a 31% strikeout minus walk rate as a hitter. Really, really bad. Out of, 100, out of 173 qualifiers, Trevor Story's strikeout rate is 12th highest and his walk-to-strikeout ratio is 10th highest. You do not want to be at the highest rate of those uh, statistics. Uh, and particularly, he's struggling with two strikes. It would kind of make sense considering he you know, is striking out a whole bunch, but he's specifically struggling with two strikes. With two strikes, he has a 32% called strike and whiff rate, and he has a 40% whiff rate on two strikes. Out of 81 hitters with 50-plus swings with two strikes, his whiff rate with two strikes is third highest. And out of two, 234 hitters with 50-plus pitches seen with two strikes, his called strike and whiff rate with two strikes is the fourth highest out of 234. That is top 2% right there. And uh, on all counts, Trevor Story is struggling against breaking balls. Uh, as I got to move my laptop over. Uh Against breaking balls in all counts, Trevor Story is one for 27 with no extra base hits and a 42% whiff rate, which results in 037 batting average, 037 slugging on breaking balls with a 42% whiff rate. Out of 107 hitters with 20 plus plate appearances ending on breaking balls, Trevor Story's average and slugging against them are the worst, and his expected batting average and expected slugging against them are second and third worst, respectively. So, uh, yeah, he's really struggling to just put the bat on the ball, uh, struggling with two strikes, struggling against breaking balls. And, you know, as a Red Sox fan, I'm re really hoping it recorrects, especially by the time next season comes around. I hope he can end the season a little bit better. But, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's a point of concern for sure that Red Sox fans may have. And, uh, and yeah, Trevor's story is getting a, excuse me, Trevor's story is getting a, slightly alarming all right so that does it for players to highlight for the episode uh now a little bit of a preview of the week ahead um a, a lot of today's games have started already yeah. as it's labor day and there's a lot of afternoon games and we started here in the afternoon but uh as far as series to watch go um you have uh there's there's a good amount of series some have started already today uh we have Giants Cubs uh the Giants were at least were part of that four-way tie for the last spot in the National League wild card race the Cubs were securely in the fifth seat of the National League playoff picture so both teams are trying to you know advance in their position advance their odds in the in the uh in the playoffs and the Cubs won today and that is looking to be a three-game series it looks like between the Cubs and the Giants. Yes. Yes, indeed. Uh, along with that, you, we have uh, Mariners Reds and uh, you know, they're not in the same league, but they're both fighting for their respective playoff spots. Mariners are fighting for the uh, division, you know, the division title in the uh, American league West Reds were one of those teams in the three way or in the four way tie for the six wild card spot. Um, and, uh, and yeah, the Reds are up, as we're recording two to nothing on the Mariners right now, that also looks to be a three game set between those two and the premier series to watch uh, one that I think everyone should keep their eyes on because they're participating in multiple races. It is the Rangers and Astros. 
this is a big series for both teams for AL West implications and also playoff in general implications. They're fighting for their division lives and also fighting for their playoff lives here. Um, and yeah, they're record wise, virtually identical. The Rangers are 76 and 60 Astros are 77 and 61. And that is looking like another three game set. So, uh, some good series with some great playoff implications going on. What do you got for the day by day pitching matchups? No doubt. So I'm going to skip Mondays because I'm sure all of them will have started by the time this comes out. But on Tuesday, Brandon Woodruff's going to be going for the Brewers against the Pirates at PNC Park. Bryce Miller is going to be going for the Mariners against the Reds at GABP. Cutter Crawford and Zach Eflin will face each other in Red Sox Rays. It's a series the Red Sox absolutely need to take advantage of. Uh, Clayton Kershaw and Jesus Lazardo, a couple of lefties, will be going in Dodgers Marlins. That'll be in Miami. Jose Quintana will be going for the Mets against the Nationals at Nats Park. Garrett Cole will be going for the Yankees against the Tigers at home. Uh, and then Dylan Cease and Brady Singer will go against each other in White Sox Royals. That's going to be at Kaufman. Framber Valdez will be going for the Astros against the Rangers at Globe Life Field, as Chris mentioned. Reed Dedmers will be facing the Orioles for the Angels at the Big A. Uh, and Chris Bassett, who threw eight shutout innings his last time out, will be going for the Blue Jays against the A's in the Oakland Coliseum. And Michael Lorenzen will be going for the Phillies against the Padres in San Diego for an NLCS rematch. And matchup of the night comes from Twins, Guardians, and both of our all-underrated teams. It is Sonny Gray versus Tanner Bybee. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Whoever wins was the better pick. Uh, on yep. Wednesday... Freddie Peralta will be going for the Brewers against the Pirates, as I mentioned, that's at PNC. Uh, Joe Ryan and Gavin Williams will face each other in Twins Guardians in Cleveland. Jordan Wicks, who has looked awesome in his first two career starts, will be going for the Cubs against the Giants at Wrigley. Hyunjin Ryu will be going for the Blue Jays against the A's in Oakland. Um, Zach Wheeler and Michael Waka will go against each other in Phillies and Padres. Logan Gilbert will be going for the Mariners against the Reds. Tyler Glass now will be, will be pitching at home for the race against the White Sox or against the Red Sox, excuse me. Lance Lynn will be going for the Dodgers against the Marlins. Um, Spencer Strider will be going for the Card for the Braves against the Cardinals. That's going to be at home in Atlanta. Um, Patrick Sandoval and Kyle Gibson will face each other in Orioles Angels at Angel Stadium. And matchup of the night, we got a real fun one from from Astros and Rangers. It is. Justin Verlander versus Max Serger. Yeah, I mean, former teammates for a very, very well, yeah, twice, but a very, very short time and a very, very long time. Yes, yes, indeed, indeed. Yeah, that's that is that is fun. That is fun. That's how imagine those two on the same team. Yeah. Um, and uh, then on Thursday, not a whole lot is announced, but Braxton Garrett will be going for the Marlins against the Dodgers. Uh, Adam Wainwright will be going against the Braves. Um, there's two ways to look at that. It's uh, he's going for win number one ninety nine against his hometown team, and we are about to watch a human sacrifice. <laughs> one of the two. Uh, he'll be going against Max Freed, and then uh, yeah, as if the it day, as if it couldn't get tougher. Yeah, matchup of the night so far is Eduardo Rodriguez versus Carlos Rodon in Tigers Yankees, but. Yeah, that Wainwright start might be tough to watch because he he intentionally didn't make his start against the Pirates because he wanted to pitch in Atlanta one last time because he's a Georgia native, which makes sense. But also, oh, man, that lineup against a guy with an 8 ERA. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
I stand uh, by my claim that I think the Cardinals should like pick a game that they're winning by a lot after five and just throw them out there for one out so we can get yeah. the win. Yeah. Get the 200 yeah, yeah. wins. I know that's not how he wants it, but, but I mean, he did the way he's been pitching, man. Yeah. If you, if you want the 200, I mean, that's, that seems like the best option. It's, it's literally the, uh, the hydrogen bomb versus coughing baby meme. Right. Yeah. Like there's no better example. Um, all right. So yeah, that does it for this installment of above replacement radio. We hope you enjoyed this one. Um, we know we did. This was, uh, yeah, yeah definitely, a a, definitely a different episode. Um, and yeah, it was, it was fun to prepare, fun to hear, uh, both sides of, of where we're at and what we think about, you know, the underrated spectrum of, of baseball for sure. Um, and hearing, you know, new information about players that I probably wasn't thinking about before. So yeah, that does it for this installment. And we hope you enjoyed this one. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts and want to watch the conversation as it happens, go to the YouTube channel, subscribe to the YouTube channel, uh, interact, comment, like, and all that stuff. If you've watched a YouTube video, you know how the algorithm works and you know, and all that. But uh, yeah, watch our shorts, watch our playlists, guest interviews, with, most recently with uh, Red Sox beat writer Chris Cotillo, if you're into that. And uh, the baseball history series, of course, which is timeless. Uh, yeah, it, it's always good to listen to that. Um, and, you know, hear us without microphones for a lot of that. But, you know, it, it, it got better over time. But uh, but yeah, um, if you want to follow us on social media, follow me on Twitter at Chris underscore Gianta. Follow Daniel on both Twitter and Instagram at Daniel underscore current and follow the show Instagram out of our replacement radio for all the show needs. And we hope you enjoyed this one. We hope to see you next time where we will be talking all the happenings in Major League Baseball once again. See you then. This conversation. This conversation is over. Is over.